peace, and love. And welcome to our super duper peachy keen realistic bedtime stories from the Art of Floundering podcast where we try to take an honest look at quote stuff to see if there's any lessons that we can't use to help us get through our current days. From Atlantic City, New Jersey, Paris Island, South Carolina, BFE, Idaho, Parts Unknown, Colorado, Norman, Oklahoma, all points in between, this is the Art of Floundering Podcast. I want to wish everybody peace and love, and welcome, peace and love, Eric, yes, yes, I am in good spirits. We're going to, tonight is episode two in Realistic Bedtime Stories. want to preface this as we have a new timetable instead of next Monday, it's December 20th. So there's going to be several of these, and I am uh, going to, uh, you know, talk about last night, we talked about uh, Carlos Hathcock, who was a uh, Marine sniper, and it was a book about him, and Tonight, you know, we'll, we'll get, we're going to talk about uh, Benedict Arnold, and I thought that would be super duper peachy keen, man. But before I get into that, I'm not, you know, trying to do a bait and switch to anybody out there that is like, like, wait a minute, dude, you know, I came here for Benedict Arnold. We are going to get to it, but I know this is, this is something that might be timely, okay? And... I I will preface this with, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't have hate, but I don't understand the, uh, the thing with the oil, uh, with the royal family. I, I just don't understand the fascination and, you know, in all of this. And, and I'm uneducated, but there's been a lot of royal coverage. So I figured, well, I'm getting bombarded with this. I'm, you know, trying to find out what's going on with the Artemis rocket. And it's, you know, what's going on with, uh, you know, Queen Elizabeth. But, which, I could handle that. But it keeps going off into these splinters of gossip. And I'm like, really, man? Is this what, you know, we've got, a, you know, war in Ukraine, you know, going on. Got all kinds of other things going on. And, y- y- you know, we got we to gotta figure out what's going on between, you know, Harry and, and, and uh, fucking, what's it, Meg or whatever, right? Megan. So, I read a book. I mean, well, that sounds kind of funny. Eric says, a big shout out to friends in different parts of the world. That's right. Big shout out. But the book I read is called Revenge. And and to be honest with you, it's an audio book. I listened to it like as I was falling asleep or, you know, while driving or working on some photoshops, that kind of thing. It's a, you know, my review is that as far as like readability, it's easy. I mean, listenability, you, you know, if you skip a few chapters, you're not really missing much. Um... I don't know much about this 
you know, um, I can't, you know, I, since I listened to this book, I can't, I'm really above not caring. So I'm really legitimately, I figured, well, let me, let me try to understand what all the blue is about. Okay. Now this author, Tom Bauer, uh, you know, he's of some, he's a, he's a journalist and, you know, he's respected and he does a lot of, of the journalism with the Royals. So he's, you know, he's not like tabloid. I mean, you know, however you can separate tabloid, Mr. Clean, peace and love, however you can separate tabloid. But anyway, so in all of the, the, the British people that cover the Royals, this guy, Tom Bauer is supposed to be like, uh, you know, the, 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 the guy that's the journalist journalist. All right. So whatever that means, because what I'm, you know, because I want to, I want to preface it, all these big reveals in the book, I, I'm just passing on what's in the book. All right. So apparently like, you know, Meghan Markle, you know, he, you know, this dude's got like an ax to grind, man. I would hate, would anybody really you know, want to be a royal, you know, I, it just sounds like now, once again, I don't understand it, I'm not down with it, but it sounds like it's a pain in the ass, man, but anyway, it, it paints Meg as trying to trap the good prince, she was looking to kind of, she was divorced, and according to the author of the book, her first husband, he, you know, kind of helped her get a level of celebrity, but couldn't take her to the next level. And, you know, she was in suits, which, you know, most people didn't hear of. And she wasn't like really the star. She was kind of like a co-star, you know, like, you know, three or four levels down on the rung. So, but she's trying to, you know, get herself out there. And, you know, you hear these reports of these different campaigns. Like, she tried to get on some watch campaign. She was trying to pitch herself as a social media um, influencer. She was like, oh, God, I'm 35. So this is the way the guy paints her. And so by the time it came for her to meet Prince Henry, you know, she's, like, researching it because she wants to land, like, you know, a grade-A dude. And she's like, well, this would really be good for, for me to land a prince. So, like, she wore, according to the book, she wore, like, um, Harry's mom's fucking perfume, little stuff like that, researches life, and, and really paints her as manipulative, you know? And so if that's true or not, who knows? It's just, I think, yeah, yeah to Eric's thing, yeah, Eric, uh, um, Eric is mentioning that Oprah received a lot of criticism. There was a lot of things apparently that they brought up in the Oprah interview. I, I'm going to say, and, and you know, the, the kind of thing, when, when somebody brings up uh, an accusation against somebody, and, you know, it's, and, and we all know it, it rises to the level of one of those in today's world, cancelable, you know, things. There really should be some consequence if that is not true. If if you make claims of things, 
and they turn out to not be true, man, because she she leveled uh, some serious claims, and you know apparently there's a lot, you know. So the point I'm trying to make is if this you know it's really less about the royal family and and more about who would ever want to be in the public eye in today's you know I wonder how much like a guy like Bezos has to spend for security these are crazy crazy times man and we're living failures and successes through celebrities and I just you know first off why why are we giving bandwidth to what the fuck is going on with you know look as individuals I got no I just like I said I don't understand the royal family I just know that and this is the way I look at it we we can split hairs all day long about but I would argue that if anybody in a royal family had what I've been going through, they have already had surgery. And what is the difference between who they are and who I am? And that's my point, you know. So that's kind of hard to take. If I was in England and going through some things and I saw the advantage people the royals are having it'd be kind of hard for me to be down with that kind of system when I'm like what is it that you're doing for me so I really don't have a lot of bandwidth because I mean you know I understand the history of how it got there and anybody in government accounting can prove anything so when you look at the finance with the privy person, the this person, the the sovereign grant, which is uh, based the best I can tell what the sovereign grant is, it's land that at one time the royals had, and the royals turned it over to the state, and it was whatever it's and the state pays. Back to the royals. It, that, that's whatever. I, I don't know what I don't know. It's very fucking confusing. It's like church financing. So, you know, I'm sure I'm not the only one that thinks this. And uh, it's just horrible. To, to You know, I wouldn't want to be in a family where, you know, I, I, it's just like, you, you know, seriously. Like Prince Charles. Like, how do you be like a guy that wants to finally demonstrate that you're capable of doing something other than being a lackey, but in order to do that, your mom's got to die? It's a crazy situation. It's, a, it's, it's, it's hard for my, culturally, the whole thing. Having said that, the other part of me, what I think is really badass, is there is something to um, tradition. I, as a person that's getting older, um, I really do think there is importance in preserving tradition. 
when I read read or watch stories about the beef eaters who are the guards of the London Tower where they keep the royal, you know, gems. When they're fascinating, they work hard. I love the tradition. I love the sense of service. All the periphery, all the people that are doing the work. So I don't know what I don't know, you know. But I don't think, you know, to be under the microscope, I, I, what I'm saying is I don't think being a royal is probably as good as what we perceive it to be. I would imagine it sucks. You know, you have to, well, you don't have to worry about, well, okay, what can you really do? If you really want to have a good time, you got to hide from everybody, you know? And you constantly have to be on your best behavior. I mean, because it's not just, you know, inside the, quote, palace is all the staff. And, you know, sure, there's rules, but you got to, you know, you rub one of them the wrong way. Next thing you know, there's a bad story about your ass on the street. And I'm sure they manipulate the tabloids. But I'll tell you, I have a hard time when people are angry or upset with me. I couldn't imagine what it would feel like to post something on social media or have a story about me and have everybody just fling fucking hate, you know? Whether or not Meghan Markle and all this and she did this, did that. She's an ambitious person, you know? Um, I just, it's so, you know, these, these accusations that we, we we're seeing, they're so ugly what gets thrown out there. And more often than not, what you're finding out is this stuff didn't happen. Yet, by the time that gets out there, all kinds of damage is done because we've immediately canceled somebody based off of just a quick post. It's unreal. So, back to a simpler time. A time of Benedict Arnold and our person that we're going to profile on realistic bedtime stories. I want to remind that this realistic bedtime stories is separate from my history series. I've done a deep dive in the ben Fr- Benedict Arnold before, and I'll provide some historical context, but this, please do not confuse this for any historical lecture of any depth. I'm going to cover some things, but it by no means is... I want to talk about the overall event and link it to us. So I'm going to cover the high points. Benedict Arnold. Most people are familiar with Benedict Arnold. If you'd ask them, they say he's a traitor. Benedict Arnold was a traitor. And hold up, Eric's got some good. And people are going to be mixed up about whether the monarch is and what might work here in the states. Exactly, Eric. You know, the thing is, Eric brought up a point about the monarchy. It's like, you know, what works there may not work here. Once again, 
when I see the people, when I watch the, the documentary about the beef eaters, the guards and stuff, and I see the dedication and the sense of pride, uh, I, I start to realize that my, you know, apprehensions of things are coming from a point of ignorance. I don't live there because I will tell you, uh, just listening to them, I'd be like, fuck, I want to see these guys continue to preserve that tradition. You know, there is some importance to preserving traditions. At what cost, I, I don't understand. You know, we'll never understand. Back to Mr. Benedict Arnold. Now, once again, this is not a historical lecture. I just want to cover some high points and hopefully link it back to the present day. So what is my source? Well, a bunch of sources, but there's this book, Benedict Arnold, Revolutionary Hero, American Warrior, Reconsidered, James Kirby, Hold Up Martin. What's all that about? Well, I'll tell you why. If you go to most people and you say, who was Benedict Arnold? They'll just say he was a traitor. And that is true. He is a traitor. He, he definitely was. And um, I would say that he always lived with the consequences of it. But I would argue that his treasonous act had less to do with any sense of patriotism, loyalty, to either side, but more someone who felt slighted so much that they did this act. More on that later. Benedict Arnold. Who is Benedict Arnold? Well, according to Wikipedia, Benedict Arnold was born January 14, 1741, Norwich, Connecticut. He died June 14, 1801. Age 60, London, England. As a kid, Benedict Arnold's family was not upper crust. They were just right below, right below. They could get there, but old Ben's dad was a fuck-up, see? His dad was pretty much a drunk. And so, from early on, Benedict Arnold found himself... Had the you know the embarrassment of having a drunk dad and these kind of things. So he's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. If it wasn't for my old man being this way, I would have had more opportunity. And he used that as fuel because the truth is, he was better than most. He worked harder. He was smarter. But he always had this chip on he's not getting his due because he doesn't have the right, you know, uh, quote, bloodline, you know, connections, you know. So all the incompetents are passing him by because they're more friends of the program. He's got this chip, right? And the chip really started rocking during the Revolutionary War without going into each and every fucking battle. This dude was a stud. He was a great 
leader. He was a he was a natural combat leader. They still study some of his actions at West Point. He was a natural, and not only that, he was in. There were several uh, battles where Benedict Arnold, as an army general, had to conduct naval operations and won battles commanding a naval operation because prior to his time in his army he would have to run the gamut the trade circuit on his boat on his schooner because he was running the drugstore up in Norwich and they'd be able to get supplies from here to there fast it was sailing at the time, so he was a very good, uh, you know, sailor, all right? Battle of Saratoga. You know, if it wasn't for Benedict Arnold, we would not have won the Revolutionary War. That's a simple fact. Isn't that interesting? The person that traded him, we could have lost the whole thing, but we wouldn't have won without him. That's a fact, Battle of Saratoga. But he still thinks he's not getting his due. But he hangs in there. Washington loves him. But I got to be honest with you. You know, when you, when you study this period of time, Washington was battling a lot of different, different politics from the Continental Congress that you had different... You had people that were trying to cut, like, you know, peace deals with the British, you know, in Congress. And so keeping, he had to keep that group together so they would support the military effort. Washington had a really tough time. Now he's got all these cuckoo personalities of these generals, man. And Benedict Arnold strikes me. And we can all re probably relate to this. I've, I've crossed paths with many employees like this that are fantastic at their job, but they're fucking high maintenance. And that's what Benedict's like, why don't they love me enough? So he's constantly pissing and moaning to George Washington about, you know, why he's not getting, you know, uh, another star, more recognition, a more prestigious command, all the bullshit. Because, once again, Washington simply just couldn't go with his first choice. He had to weigh political consequences. And um, there was a general that was above a fucking... Uh, sorry for all the cussing. My apologies. There was a general above... Um, Benedict Arnold that really kind of rubbed his crawl anyway, anyway so Benedict Arnold gets hurt really bad in a battle like um, where he is going to be forever um, you know disabled due to this, this painful injury he's really down he's really discouraged so, during this time when he's really down and he's really discouraged, Washington goes, hey, man, why don't I make you, like, military governor of Philadelphia? Philadelphia just got liberated. So, during this time, Benedict Arnold got to live the high life. You know, got to see how the other half lived. And I think that chip he had on his shoulder 
got more and more heat. It started going like, ah, oh, we're being exploited. They're just making money off us. And it was at that moment he decided to flip. And he flipped. Washington found out. The, 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 the caper blew. They made Benedict Arnold a brigadier general until the end of the Revolutionary War. He never really quite regained his reputation, kind of retired and died in obscurity in London. How many of us have gotten in these positions in life, man, where it's like we're, we're not, we're, we feel like we're not getting our due, our recognition? How come so-and-so has this and I don't have it? I think that was Benedict Arnold's downfall. Like so many. All of us, man. All of us have these great traits, but we have these Achilles heels that takes us down, you know? And I argue in the case of Benedict Arnold, you know, had he not been such a hothead, you know, we, we you know, golly gee whiz, you know, because I'm telling you, we, you know, if you go back and look through some of these battles and what he did, he stemmed the tide. You know, were he not there, we would not have won that battle, and who knows what would have happened, man. So hang on. Hang on, dude. All right. If you want to call in, hang on. Let me get my headphones on, and I'll tell you when they're on, and then you can hit that call button again. How does that sound? So um, why don't you? Oh, he left. Okay. All right, so that is kind of um, a summation of our breakdown of Mr. Benedict Arnold. Why is it realistic? Because it's not cut and dry. It's not like, you know, all good, all bad, all evil. Yeah, he, he made a mistake, but you got to understand the time. He didn't, no one knew how things were going to turn out. He was just looking for the best deal and felt like he was getting the run around and he probably was you know i'm not justifying his actions i'm just saying you know but if you look throughout his life he had this chip you know and he was constantly pissing and moaning all right like i said any time i read about washington i'm like it's like you know lincoln what does Lincoln do? He he uh he takes all of his fucking political enemy and gives him cabinet positions, so he can get like unbiased advice. Yeah, but so he can keep an eye on his enemies. Brilliant dude. Brilliant. One of the most brilliant moves, man. You know, um, I you know was when I read what Washington, you know, he just, you know, it's not like today, you know, where we've got we've got the budget, right. I mean, these guys were like starving to death and shit. And he's like, hey, man, can we get shoes? You know, some of these, uh, if you ever get a chance to go to some of these military uh, museums and you can see the, uh, quote, boots of like uh, revolutionary and Civil War soldiers, they'll blow your mind, man. We like, you know, just this flat piece or whatever. So anyway, that is the story of Benedict Arnold. It's a realistic gosh darn bedtime story because it's uh, not cut and dry. And in the end, you know, he 
made his rash judgment and paid his consequence, you know. He was never accepted, despite how, quote, brilliant he was. He, he was not viewed because, you know, there was still honor and all this amongst the officer corps. And he was, uh, he was viewed as not having any honor whatsoever. Interestingly, um, the name escapes me. But they did a big miniseries on this. But uh, the spy that was captured, uh, that was working the Arnold case, wound up winning the utmost respect of all the uh, Patriot Revolutionary Americans, uh, guards, officers that were guarding him and put him to death. You know, Arnold's case was a little bit different. Arnold was seen as a, as, you know, the, the spy that America caught, even though they hung him. Um, they held him in very high esteem. They viewed him as a person of honor. Um, on the other hand, uh, they, the British viewed what benefit, even though they sided with him, they're like, he's just got no honor. So he never, ever fit in. So he was never able to get like a quote real commission in in the real army, and he lived his life, you know. On top of that, you know, like I said, this I don't know, but being hurt myself, I can only imagine what they what they had to do to get to the day with these injuries. But he was in that boat, man. So just like Carlos Hathcock, he does. The gunnery sergeant. We talked about him last night. He was he, 93 or 90. I forget the number. He was a sniper in Vietnam. He he volunteered for Vietnam. All right. If you're really trying to call in, dude, do it one more time because you're kind of in and out. Like, I'll, go ahead and try one more time, dude. And so, um, he uh, hang on for a second. I my I started getting off boat here. So. Carlos uh, Hathcock was a guy that, you know, grew up really poor, uh, learned to use a gun while hunting for food to feed his family in Arkansas, and he joined the Marine Corps real in age, 17. And uh, in Vietnam, he was an MP, and there was a big push to get more snipers, and he volunteered, and he just took to it. So you read the book and go read his story, but it's really incredible. But in the end... Uh, Carlos Hathcock got multiple sclerosis, but still tried to stay in the uh, the Marines. And I think the Marines tried to do everything they could. For example, they uh, when at his last duty station was like on some like docked ship, and when they showed up. The officer showed up to, you know, the change of command. Hathcock was so bad for multiple sclerosis, he had to have people help him do everything. And so the Marine Corps didn't know what to do. So what they decided to do was give him 100% disability, right, and discharge, which means he gets 100% of his pay for the rest of his life and in medical and blah, blah, blah. 
Now, it just so happens that Hathcock was only like five months away from 20 years. Now, if he would have made 20 years and took the retirement at 20, it would have been 50%. The Marine Corps was trying to do him a solid, but he took it the wrong way. He was like, I don't want to retire. You know? And he really felt that insulted. And I understand that in a way. And it's, you know, it's hard to see when you're in the midst of these battles. Like, I'm sure when I can look back at me with a lot of clarity, I'll see a lot of moves like this that I've done that make no sense. So, you know, I'm sure, you know, had Carlos not had multiple sclerosis and all the things that were going on, he wouldn't have felt this way. He had a lot going on. You know, and he died a very young man, 56, I believe. And, but in the end, you know, just kind of, you know, felt insulted. And it is a reminder, this is realistic bedtime stories. When I began my government service career, now, prior to this time, it wasn't like I was some rube. You know, I had been in the Marine Corps. I had spent 10 years in the private sector. So, you know, um, but, you know, this guy just kind of one day, like he told me, he said, look around. There's nobody that leaves this organization on top. Everybody is, it's like either you fail to recognize when it's over or, Things just pass you by, but I never really saw anybody be able to end things quite on their terms. There was always something, and that's life, you know? You know, a life I'm trying to understand. Because, see, right now, this is, for me, being realistic bedtime stories. For me, this is what, what, what this podcast also is, is real time is real time I've been waiting for uh, spinal surgery for a very long time and this surgery has the hopes of greatly relieving the horrific pain I'm in and I can return to sitting in a chair and walking and reparticipating in life and I've been waiting and I've been waiting and I've been waiting and surgery is supposed to happen a week from tomorrow get a call on Friday that they're going to push the surgery back until the 20th of December. That was, it still is. It's a heavy blow to the process. So this, you know, sometimes we are all hit in life by these gut check, these real, you know, gut check moments after gut check moments when you think you're almost and then a little bit more it's tough it's tough and I think that having an opportunity to this wealth of knowledge that we have of being able to look at how others have approached different challenges is helpful because I very much want to make it to December 20th and, and, and that means you know 
positive and all that. And I'm in a real down place right now. I'll crawl out of it. But a big part of that is like we all struggle with. What am I going to do? You know, I don't think we ever will answer that question. I think life is a continual quest for what am I going to do? But getting back at these wonderful lessons of histories, these are opportunities. Our ancestors have left us a wealth of knowledge. If we have the courage to examine our history truthfully without trying to put a spin or whatever we do with it and just look at it for what it is because I will tell you Right, there are a bunch of different strategies I do. One is a filthy puppet show. But spending time trying to look at anyone that's either in the public eye or was in the public eye. That's why I read the, the goofy uh, revenge book because I wanted to see if there's anything in there that I can somehow connect with and use to help me motivate or as an example or something because it's a different type of resilience but it's a resilience to be able to live life with the, the, the barrage of negativity that is anybody that is in the public now there's some positivity in there but man it's brutal you know so I thought maybe there's some little gems I personally I didn't get any I just got just like you know but it's it's hard to not feel like a horrible person when you are increasingly becoming a burden and you can do nothing to stop it. You are dependent on so many others and it takes so much to get to that final point where they can get their surgery on and to be so close and to be told, you know, and I got to do fucking this stupid ass testing game for the next three months. So, more on that on the Countdown to Soon series. But I want to come back and look at this because I'm, I'm getting there. I'm trying to figure out what, what's going to be my thing. What, what can I do uh, given the situation? So, I hope one of the things I can do is, you know, get more interesting examples of people in history and, and different challenges and, and taking a look at that and sharing that here, man. You know, the, yeah, another, another person in history that flat out fascinates me that I can relate to is not because I think I can, I'm comparing myself, okay? I'm not comparing, I'm saying I can, can relate to Ulysses S. Grant 
was on his ass when the Civil War started, basically, and got a recommission back in the Army. And it was almost like he was a guy that knew the consequences of really fucking up, got a second chance, and was not going to ever fuck up again. And that dude is flat out fascinating. And in the end, here he is, Civil War hero. Right? President. And reading about his presidency is fascinating, by the way. He shut down the fucking Klan. He fucking shut that shit down. It had a resurgence in the 20s. And I'll, you know, we talk about that, but when it popped up, he fucking shut it down. Now, there's some other criticisms, but what meant the most to Ulysses S. Grant was security. He wanted to be able to take care of his family. There is a story that after the uh, Mexican-American War, which a lot of the Civil War generals kind of popped their cherries, so to speak, right? Grant was one of them. I think he was a captain. Anyway, one day, he's hauling wood in Ohio, and one of his old troops runs across him and looks at him and is shocked that he's seeing his former captain do such menial labor and Ulysses A. Grant was just like unapologetic I'm doing what because he was like why are you doing this you know like to put food on the table so it was a different era did so he's now he's former president two-termer Civil War hero he invested wisely he thinks He's going to be wealthy. Well, turns out that his, his money got involved in one of the great Ponzi schemes of the times. And he, one morning he thought he was a millionaire and his family would be set for life. The next minute, he was broke. Former president. Civil War hero. At the end of this journey, broke. On top of that, now he finds out he's got cancer. And, oh, by the way, uh, cancer's fatal. Nothing can be done. So what does he do? Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, reaches out to him and says, Look, your story needs to be told. And if you work with me, I guarantee you that your book will sell at the volumes so your family never has to worry for the rest of her lives. And you could see these pictures of Ulysses S. Grant in pain, dying, working on this book because he wanted to be able to ta make sure his family was t taken care of before he died. And he, fin he literally like finished it and pop died. And on top of that, this book by Ulysses S. Grant, his book is hands down the gold standard for any military 
etc., etc., memoir. And Mark Twain was true to his word. The book did phenomenally well, and Grant's family was able to be taken care of. But even a, the point is, a person of Grant's stature and accomplishment At the end, of it, it had to went down swinging, yes, but in the midst of a struggle, trying to. It was not easy. There was no. I find that's more often true. These slow, protracted ways of dying. More often than not, the people that are in these positions, are trying to figure out anything they can. To take care of their family. And I think it goes deeper than that. I think it's also. Do anything they can. To try to make some last mark of. I was here. And. I contributed. I just think Grant's story is. Just absolutely. It's, it's just. It's, it's, a, it's a magnificent story. Of a dude that overcame a lot and sometimes of his own doing. His drinking problem, he did have that. Grant had depression back in the time where they didn't call it depression. He self-medicated with booze. But he quit. But there was like, you know, he white-knuckled it, I'm sure. You know? But, he, you know, fascinating dude. So I enjoy these these people in history to learn from and to see how they dealt with it and the shit that came out. And it's just, it's, it's not comforting. It just knows that, you know, our experiences are, are not unique. We're all suffering or going to suffer. All of us are. Even, uh, former president of the United States. A movie star, Babe Ruth, was miserable towards the end. You know? All of us. We've got to share that suffering. No doubt. No doubt. And, uh, I don't know what that means other than I'm convinced that it's connected to some type of lesson that I haven't quite figured out. I don't think things in my life happen for a specific reason. But I believe, it's a little skewed, it's hard to make sense of, that each of us has a series of lessons that we're supposed to really get through our head, so to speak, in this journey. And, uh, that might account for the the some of the repeats of the, the things that we kind of experience over. Why does this keep happening over and over? Well, you know, I've I've just it's not anything you're doing wrong. I, I don't think it's because I'm doing anything wrong. I think each time because each time it's been worse and worse and worse. And, you know, 
to me, I mean, it's it's clear I'm for whatever reason I'm supposed to get some lesson out of all this. I'm still trying to figure out what that is, you know, or I'm supposed to just get beaten up and tortured, you know, two different ways of looking at it, yeah, you know? or somewhere in the middle. But either way, when I look at the stories of others and I see their fuck ups their mistakes it humanizes them you know and it I find they're, they're great lessons and I, I'm always thankful for for the people in our history that, that write that their memoirs and are willing to you know really hold themselves to task you know because there's there's it's not beating yourself up. It's a responsibility to to do that. To say these these are the areas I think I did well, and these are the areas where I failed. Without worrying how you look, because that information is helpful for the next generation, and so on and so on. It's invaluable to me right now. You know, this is probably a natural function of being the age I am, but it has me questioning everything. Why didn't I study history? Right? Something like that. So realistic bedtime stories tonight has kind of gone off into babble mode. And I apologize. I can't predict where these podcasts are going to go. Hopefully I'll get some guests on. Either way, I'll figure out a middle ground between just talking crazy stuff and having something listenable. I can't promise listenable. I can promise that I'm going to try to do different things and see what I can hold on to for the next three months. We've done two live puppet shows thus far, and I will tell you that that has been rather enjoyable. Um, so I, I, I think um, it's a good release. I think there'll be more of the puppets. And I also think I'm rambling. So I, I want to welcome C- Colonel Four, man. Peace. So I'll say a couple of things. You know, I've got different content up there. This is going to be my appeal. It's going to sound like a sales pitch, and it's not. But just bear with me. I'll try to make it quick. When, not if, when I get through this thing, the I want to be able... My father was in a unit called DASPO, Department of the Army, Special Photographic office DASPO Uh, I've talked about this in a previous episode but what the hell I'm going to give a little history on DASPO if you don't mind DASPO was started 1962 by John F. Kennedy now DASPO there were were combat photographers and combat uh, field people and stuff like that you know why did we need to have DASPO well this was a pre-internet era 
And Daspo was charged with going out to these hotspots, getting, you know, quote, real-time, um, you know, combat footage. And that footage would get sent back to the White House except and, and the Pentagon for them to make decisions, okay? Once again, tasked with providing documentary films to the United States Army, the staff at the Pentagon, Joint Chiefs of Staff in the United States Congress. This was the unit my father was in, Vietnam. This unit had some people that went on to be Hollywood producers, anchors at CNN, uh, people that went on to work in documentary films and other walks of life. Very fascinating history, I think. The stories. I would like to do a documentary about this unit that would feature the people that are still with us and willing. And I've reached out to those that my father knew that would want to share their story and participate. I think, if done right, it could really be a beautiful piece of work that would share such an important part of our history and also uh, the veterans and be able to, to share their stories. These were, most of these were draftees, you know, film students, didn't want to be in Vietnam, but there they were, right? Amazing stories. In addition to that documentary, all the things that would go into it, the video editing, sound editing, I can go on and on. That would be done by people that are in my situation. So it would be a badass documentary. And other things. It's just not just a documentary. I also see an in-depth podcast series with like, you know, four to five hour interviews with each person. That level of depth, too. As well as a book. And this is what... When I get better, I want to dedicate my time to. i got to figure out a way to do that. But this is what I want to do. And, and the people that helped me do it, I would like that to be people that are in my similar situation. So not only is it this badass, wonderful fucking product, but it was also put together by people that were thrown in, off in a corner and told you're, you're not capable you're not physically capable of performing anything you're, you're, your situation's hopeless and this is to be their way of pushing back on that so I very much want to do that but I'm also recognize a couple of things I need to be more credible with this podcasting thing. That's kind of hard to do now, but I need to stop making excuses. So we'll try to figure out, but there's going to be a lot of different things because I'm trying to figure out what I can do with where I'm at. What, what I want to do is not realistic with where I'm at, so I'm trying to figure that out. So that's my big pitch for DASPO. More to come on that. 
but I really would, uh, you know, um, we're going to, I'm going to work on, uh, in a week or two, I'm going to have some mini things about DASPO that will include, uh, uh, a lot of their their photographic work which is amazing and uh you know it just i think it'd be a, a wonderful wonderful uh i would just love i would love to be able to to hear their stories man it's a way of reconnecting with my dad who died in 2000 it's just all the way around it just seems like it makes sense it it you know, the reality is this. You know, this... I... This thing, especially with this extension, these things take a toll financially. I'm not bitching. They just do. You know? And I will be, when I get out, I'll get out of this. I'll figure it out. But I will be in a position when I'm out of surgery and I recover, you know, to hopefully be able to do something to to generate income beyond what I get from this disability pension, which I'm thankful for. But you know, with the way costs are going, it would be it'd be a challenge. But anyway. I'll, I'll, I'm not worried about it. I'll figure it out. Because I told myself to go through... I, I want my independence. I, I, I want to get well. And I don't want to be a burden to anybody anymore. I don't want to have to ask for so much help to be so in this. That's number one. I want to be able to be on my own and take care of myself and and date and and you know all that stuff again but I don't want to forget how fucking horrible all this is and immediately lose track of all these lessons and not work on that documentary and make decisions like oh wait a minute maybe I need to you know do this kind of thing because it pays more I hope I don't do that I'll figure this out but I think yeah I do these the, doing the crazy puppet shows have, have given me the opportunity to learn how to do film editing not like a video editing, not like big time, but I'm getting better and better and better at it. Because I've done so many puppet shows. And now, between now and December, you know, I can do quite a bit more and use this time to hone my my game, so to speak, my skills, my animation skills, all the different editing, all the different things that it takes um, so that when I get through that surgery and I'm walking and I'm feeling good, I'll be able to go forth 
and do the things necessary to make this happen. And that's fucking, that is awesome. And I'm hanging on to that. That is my vision of getting through this, is being able to make this documentary happen. I will need help, like we all do. But this has been a real time watching me mentally work through what am I going to hang on to. But just because that's what I'm working to doesn't mean there won't be filthy puppets, Eric. I'm sorry, buddy. I posted this one on TikTok. I'm almost begging TikTok to kick me off because I heard through the grapevine that President Z has got some kind of thing about Winnie the Pooh because people make fun of him for looking like Winnie the Pooh or something, right? So... Being that TikTok is owned by the Chinese, I did an anti-marijuana video, and my lead character was this little animation of Winnie the Pooh's torso with Z's head on it, and I posted it. You know, because, I, I mean, what would TikTok say? There, there's no filth in it. I'm just saying, you know, you got please don't do the pot, right? And then, so... They would have to take it down because I'm making fun of Dear Later. So please support me on TikTok. Because that's the only reason I'm using it now. Is I'll post things on there. But any video I post, Z the Pooh is going to be a big part of it. You know, even if I just do it. Hey man, this is me playing a guitar. And Z the Pooh Bear. That's really good. Thanks Z the Pooh Bear. You know, TikTok is peachy keen fun. Come on kids. They're not trying to track us. This is not a data mine operation by by the Chinese government. This is fun. Everybody, let's all fucking go all in TikTok. I say no. I'll give them data. But the data they're getting from me is fucking crazy town data. I mean, they're trying to figure... You, you Seriously. You know, I'm posting nothing, but it's not... Anything like what's on there. I can't believe what people really dig watching. That shows you how disconnected I am. Somebody will have a video of a press conference behind them playing for a minute. And the video will be them like showing their face and different facial expressions while the press conference is going on. And people are like, yeah. I'm like, fuck, dude. I don't get this art thing, dude. This is why I could never become an artist because, you know, I've never done things that are compelling to people. They're interesting to me, but everybody else, they're a sickness. Anyway, on another note, two two things. I'm very, very serious about that Daspo thing, but the other thing I really am committed to is I really would like to get the stories out there of people that are in my situation. Not to make it a bitch fest because that's not what it is. But um, there's something to listening to each one of these stories. Each one of them is a lesson in redemp a lesson in resilience, uh, a lesson in how our culture 
we naturally, we almost, we don't even know we're doing it, but how we, we kind of shame, but when we don't even realize what we're doing. But hearing their stories, I realize, oh, fuck, how, how, you know, in a lot of instances I'm hurting more than helping, you know. And uh, they're very, they're, they're, I find them to be uh, very good. With that said, um, it's hard for me to run out there and, hey, do you want to come on like I used to? But if you stumble on this and you want to share your story, please reach out to me. I'm going to put together a, a promo video on that. With that said, it is 10 o'clock here. Eric, you're a good man for listening to this all the way through, dude. <laughs> poor, poor, dude. poor Eric, man. But hey, with that said, I'm like I said, throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. Um, might be back on later um, with something experimental with behind the scenes. We'll see. I do want to wish each and every one of you nothing but peace and love and. Thanks for listening to Realistic Bedtime Stories Live, part two, or number two, in our Countdown to Soon season. We will be back throughout the week. If you are into the Royals, uh, the funeral begins, I believe, 5.30 Eastern. Double check, but it's very early in the morning. Um, but what I hope to do is the Artemis launch. I will find the network that there's no copyright stream issues with, but I want to try to do a little launch day podcast on that. I'm really into this event. I think it's kind of cool. And, you know, it, I'm just like, so I thought it always would be fun to like try to do a live stream slash podcast episode and, you know, with this thing in real time. Uh, you know, so look for that and just say peace and love. I'm rambling. We'll be back later. I want to thank you sincerely for giving this a shot from parts unknown, Colorado. This is Will Dick with the Art Flower Podcast wishing each and every one of you nothing but now you come on. Now you come on for the good time stories right when I was going to log off, man. We'll be back later. Once again, I want to wish each and every one of you nothing but peace and love. This concludes another episode from the Art of Floundering podcast. We hope that you will like, follow, subscribe, and review. You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Podbean, or wherever you download your super-duper peachy keen favorite podcast. On behalf of the Art of Floundering podcast, I want to wish each and every one of you nothing but peace and love. <laughs>